to the What The Folk podcast. Today's guest is, without doubt, a Motherwell legend, making his debut as a 19-year-old. He went on to make more than 400 appearances in the SPL and is now assistant manager at the very same club. Welcome to the show, Keith Lasley. How are you doing, Keith? I'm good, thanks. Pleasure to be on. Um, and yeah, looking forward to it. First and foremost, at the time of speaking, we're in lockdown here in the UK, so I'm out of my studio. I'm using Skype again for the first time in a few years, but how are you coping with that football? Yeah, it's certainly different. I think you're so used to having your, your routines in terms of, uh, you know, especially for, for, in football, in terms of your training and, and planning for your, for your upcoming games. And you just felt it was getting to that stage of the season where you were kind of, you could see the, the finish line on the horizon. So for it to be stopped so quickly, it was uh, certainly a shock for everyone. And yeah, it's just different. You know, obviously our boys were not training. Um, you know, the lads have got uh, their individual, you know, training programmes and things like that until we figure out exactly what the, the time frame is uh, going forward. But, you know, strange and, and like everyone else, I think just, you know, at home with the family and doing what we can do. I've got a young family, uh, two young kids. So become a, a school teacher to them uh, which is a bit more stressful than uh, coaching I can assure you uh, but, but yeah you know just trying to make the best of a of what is a strange and, and different situation So I suppose before we delve into your, your full football career Motherwell as it stands, are having a great season so far, sitting in third as we currently speak, although who knows what's going to happen because we're living day by day but what's been the key to the improvement from Motherwell this season? Yeah, I think it's a factor. I think, I think it's a carryover from, from last season, to be honest. I think for, for, for MD, it's really kind of watched us since, you know, since I came into the job I'm doing the now. I finished playing and went into the coaching side of it. I, I, you know, I teamed up with Stephen Robinson, who's the, the current manager. And, um, you know, I think it's over the kind of two and a half, three years that we've We've been uh, involved. You know, the managers had that. Uh, you know, two or three different jobs to do. I think when he first came into the job, it's he had to to build a squad and, and and try and keep us up in the division. Then the following season, we assembled a squad pretty quickly and and got to two cup finals. And I know I think our style of football uh, took a little bit of an unfair battering at times. To be honest with you, it was seen as very direct, and which it was in a sense, but uh, you know, certainly effective from our point of view. You know, we started kind of last season, the start of last season, uh, pretty poorly, to be honest. And, uh, you know, the manager made the, the big call during our uh, winter break to kind of not rip it up and start again, but certainly, you know, change uh, pretty drastically in terms of our tactics and the way we're going about things. So I think since last January, you know, I think last calendar year has been was a fantastic one for us in terms of our of our points total and I think it's down to real, that real change of um, thought process and the way we want to go about it and then obviously our recruitment off the back of that so you know been 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 uh, playing predominantly a kind of 4-3-3 and it's, it's worked well for us you know integration of some of our good young players you know along with some some young hungry guys from the kind of lower uh, reaches of the English game down south and you know it seems to have worked well for us in this, this last kind of 12 months or so so no, we're, we're, we've been happy you know with this season obviously sitting in third which is you know I, I think can't be underestimated for a a club of our size you know against um, you know some some clubs with far bigger budgets and bigger 
um, you know, fan bases and things like that. So, uh, you know, delighted with the efforts of the players and every day at the club uh, so far. And, you know, hopefully we get a chance to, to finish the job off whenever the, whenever the season uh, resumes. So going all the way back to your, your childhood and going to your, your playing your playing side of things. Um, some sites say you're born in Paisley. Some say you're born in Glasgow. Now I know there's a difference. People outside of Scotland may think there's not, but there definitely is. Where where was it? Where did you grow up? I was born. I was born in in, in Glasgow, the Southern General uh, in Govan. But I was actually brought up kind of probably somewhere in between, to be honest, a little at a town <laughs> called Erskine. Oh yeah. But, which geographically is actually a lot closer to St Mirren. And funnily enough, I do have you know I've got some family members that are you know uh, you know St Mirren fans, and and uh, so I, I I I had been at the odd game, and my uncle had uh, took me along actually to the cup final. Scott St Mirren won the Scottish Cup in 1987, so I was at that game. But so geographically, they are probably the, the closest team. But funnily enough, as a you know, as a, as a boy, my big team was Everton, and still is to this day. As my dad's a scouser, and he moved up here a number of years ago. So you know, English football was 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 a big a big thing for me as a young boy. Uh, you know, particularly in my days, so my dad and my two brothers are both big Reds, big Liverpool fans, and I was the kind of black sheep of the family, Everton fan, due to my cousin and. <laughs> Ages with me, uh, we spent all, you know all our school holidays down the road, and you know, any time we went down, always tried to get to a game and, and things like that. Always the full kits for my for my Christmas and things like that. So, so Everton's always been the, the kind of big team for me, and um, as I say, it's quite unusual uh, for, a, for for somebody in Scotland, but as the the team that I've probably got most affinity with. Obviously, now Motherwell is, is such a big. Um, you know, team for me, it's it's obviously the Scottish team for me now, me and my family. And um, but certainly as a boy, as I said, it was it was it was really Everton that got me into football as such. So who was your your idols growing up then? I mean, if you were Everton in the eighties, there's, there's quite a few choices there, isn't there? Well, I'm trying to get my wee boy to follow Everton at the moment, which is a bit more of a challenge than it was back then because Everton, <laughs> well, and Liverpool to be fair, were uh, all conquering really, and uh, in terms of the English league, and you know, I, I could list loads of players, you know, and that, that that fantastic team: Neville Southall, the goalkeeper, Kevin Ratcliffe, the 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 captain, Peter Reid, a midfielder, you know, obviously, so not for Sunderland as well, uh, Graham Shaw. Andy Gray, uh, Gary Lineker, Kevin Sheedy, but you know, like Paul Bracewell. I could, I, I could, the list could go on. I mean, it was that good yeah. a team that really, it was uh, every player was was really, um, you know, a top top player. So I, I think I was lucky in that sense. <laughs> it's not been quite as it's been kind of downhill all the way since then, unfortunately, or most of the way. But certainly that team, it was it, it was great to grow up and kind of. Idolise that team and watch that team, you know, particularly when they were in such a, a successful period. So, as I said, that was the thing that really hooked me in, and you know, still does to this day. Uh, you know, I was, I was down, took my wee boy down to watch them uh, this season as well, and you know, any time I can, I can try and get down and keep <laughs> try and keep him interested. The, it's hard when the Man Cities and uh, of this world are are, are, uh, are there, and you know, they, they, they want to follow that success. Obviously, naturally, as a young boy, but my wee boy's eight now. So, yeah, he's, he, 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 without fail, he gets the new Everton kit for his birthdays and his Christmases, and he's he's forced to wear them. So I'm I'm, I'm trying my best, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it was it was I said it was it was great watching that team, and you know one of the best teams in my opinion of 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 recent generations, to be honest. I'm really looking that I don't have a kid because I think the toughest challenge if I had a child at the moment would be trying to get them to support Sunderland. <laughs> There's just That's no true. redeeming features right now. So <laughs> to well, be on on the pitch listen, anyway, well, on the pitch. 
it's, it's so hard now. I think young young kids now, even though it's teams, I think it's players that they follow. Some you know, obviously with Messi and yeah. Ronaldo, and you know, it used to be you just you had your team and that was it. Whereas nowadays, with so much football on on the telly and things like that, for young kids growing up, I think they see they get exposed to far more football than we did. You know, so they've got far more choice uh, uh, in terms of even all the European teams as well. So that is a challenge. But no, I'm trying my best, and I think uh, you know, getting getting them down to a game was great. Actually, I, I enjoyed that. So it was. I think hopefully, hopefully the the the, pet, the, the seed is in there and it'll um, it'll keep keep growing if you like. But um, but no, uh, it, as I said, it was it was uh, the one team that still sticks with me to this day and 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 will do will continue. I'm sure. So everyone, I think, has that sort of memory of a team they love, team of support, uh, players they looked up to, but few of kind of fortunate to be talented enough to actually make it a job of it. Uh, what age did you start realising or did people in your family start realising you had some talent? Um, it was a strange one for me, really. I mean, the, the town I was from, Erskine, as I said, uh, you know, a kind of uh, small town, kind of somewhere in between Paisley and Glasgow. We, yeah. we had a, I mean, I, I played for my, my boys club, Erskine Boys Club, and we had some really good players but it wasn't really a, a a place where you've ever felt there was a lot of scouts out watching or things like that. I mean, there was the odd one you would hear of getting picked up, but maybe different to kind of uh, inside Glasgow or Paisley itself. There was maybe yeah. you know a lot more exposure for for boys being picked up. You know, it's not like nowadays when boys are getting picked up at seven eight year olds. You know, that, it wasn't like that back then. You know, you really had to stand out, particularly as I said, coming from a small town like I did. Uh, to get recognised, so I mean, turning professional. While I, you know, I felt I, you know, I had two older brothers. I was always playing with them from a young age, and I think that's something that really helped me in, in my development. Um, basically, playing in the park with them and, and playing with a lot of older boys, and you find yourself, you know, coming on a level with them, even though they are two and three and four years older than you. And I think that probably gives you a wee gauge of. You're actually maybe not bad at not bad at, at, at doing this. So, but yeah, I mean, as I progressed through through the boys' club, you know, one or two boys get picked up, but not too many. And actually, once I got to sixteen, although I always knew I was I was a decent player, I'm a decent footballer within my own level. Um, I, you kind of felt, or I certainly felt, as if the kind of chance had had passed you by because you know at sixteen, seventeen, you think your your chance is gone. Um, so I was very, very fortunate in, in, in terms of the way I get into professional football. And it was actually Billy Davies, uh, you know, on to manage, obviously, was my first, ultimately my first manager at Motherwell, who then went on to manage down at Preston and Derby. And he, he was such an important guy in my, in my career, in my life, really, because he was he actually took my boys club for one night's training a week uh, when he was just starting off his coaching badges in Paisley. Uh, and you know that was the connection he remembered me and 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 when he got the motherwell job he invited me up uh to, to go for a trial and by that point i had left school i got a job as an electrician an apprentice electrician so i i, I, I certainly an unconventional route and something i thought had passed me by but you know then obviously that that took me to 19 and uh you know i finished my apprenticeship i made sure i'd done that first and then i took up his offer of of coming up for a for a trial at motherwell and you know as they say the rest is the rest is history really from that point i think you're you're more or less a regular under billy davies and like you said you made your, your debut under him and i think you mentioned a few clubs that you came to in england as well obviously started sort of around it was early days when he was at motherwell um but a really fiery character. I mean, I, I imagine there's a plethora of stories that people have about him, but 
how well did you get on with Billy Davies? How how good was your relationship? Uh, I mean, I always got on really well with him. Um, I think probably from that early connection that we had, you know, I think I always felt as if we maybe had a little bit extra connection than they maybe even had with some of the other younger players. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you probably understand yourself from speaking to other guys in those days. It was the young boys really were on the periphery of a, a, a really large first team squad. I mean, you used to have a first team squad, a reserve squad, and then you'd maybe have some young younger boys around the edges of that, you know. So the young boys certainly not like they are nowadays, but they're almost integrated into the first team where it's particularly in Scotland where finance finances dictate that that's the case. It was such a big squad to try and penetrate, but I always felt as if he, even when he was a manager, he still made a point of you know speaking to me and 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 just to, you know checking my progress and pushing me. Really, actually, is probably the thing that would be, and I think that's what he was. He was. All the things that you mentioned there in terms of fiery, a very intense character, you know, but I think that intensity was born out of just being a winner, you know, he was just that desperate to win and just wanted to win that much that it really probably at times too much, but it drew out a real intensity in him and it could be confrontational, it could be, you know, certainly with some of our first team players at that time who were big characters themselves, like Andy Gorham, John Spencer, Don Goodman, um, you know, uh, you know, experienced first team there. And I, I know there were times when there was a few fireworks or sparks, can we say, in the first team dressing room. But uh, again, I, I go back to it. I think it was born out of that real desire and intensity to, 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 for Billy Davis to progress and win, which ultimately, you know, he went on to do when you see the career that he went on to have. We well, mentioned Billy Davis there, but you've mentioned quite a few characters from the first team there as well. I mean, you're like 1920 getting into a team with like the likes of Andy Gorham, Don Goodman, someone who's obviously really well loved on Wearside. Um, how, how important was that for you coming into a, a team with that amount of experience and that amount of character in it already I think the one the first word I would use would be daunting I think as I said the atmosphere in, the, in any club at that point was the young boys were the young boys you know don't get me wrong and, and actually it's mm-hmm. funny you mentioned Don he was one of the best for the young boys and Andy Gorham and, and in general actually most of them in terms of nice to progress and, and actually yeah they get they could give you a hard time if you walk through the first home dressing room at the wrong time or it started to get about a bit above your station you were certainly let know about that but on the whole, they were brilliant with us. They were really well. And yeah, it was, it, it, you know, the, these guys had obviously, most of them had been at, you know, massive football clubs. And just to have them at Motherwell was for, for us as young boys to watch them train on a daily basis. And again, it probably set things in motion for me. I probably didn't realise at the time, but probably further into my career in terms of setting standards every day in training and something I always felt as if, you know, wasn't the the best player technically in the world but what I tried to do was, was set a standard in terms of what rate and effort and attitude and rubbed off and others around you and I think that's was my first exposure to guys that as I said had been at really at the top of a football top of the game that they still had that desire they still had that hunger to win a five-a-side every day at training. You know, they, they, they were winners. That, and that's, the, again, along with the manager, I think that was a recipe that, you know, a lot of young boys that came out of that environment, myself, Stephen Hamill, James McFadden, Stephen Pearson, Clarkson, you know, all guys that went on to, you know, have decent careers. I think that's where a lot of our principles, if you like, were 
were uh, shaped and formed uh, was in that environment and you know, I think the senior players that I mentioned there were, were a lot to do with that. You also played under Terry Butcher after um, Billy Davies. Now, Terry Butcher's had a, a bit of a mixed managerial career, certainly not great with Sunderland, but he did he did well with Motherwell. Um, as a, a captain and such an iconic captain, maybe more so in the English game, of course, but um, how was your relationship with Terry? Again, good, you know, like it was with most of the managers I had, but he, Terry, just commanded respect. He walked, yeah. you know, that classic thing of walking in a room, and I th- it would still be the case just now. I think it is just that, you know, you don't, all your managers don't have, you know, they have it to a certain extent because they are the manager, essentially. But, Terry had that something different, you know, just the sheer size of him. And, uh, you know, when he spoke, you know, you listened. And after uh, picking up the pieces pretty much after administration uh, for Motherwell and, you know, we had a really young squad, you know, the cuts that the club had to make, were forced to make. But he was a perfect guy to galvanise those young kids. And, uh, you know, alongside, you know, one or two, experienced guys he was probably I would say the main reason that we did galvanise and the main names I mentioned there like some McFadden and Pearson and Hamill he was the one that really kind of moulded us together into some sort of team you know uh, and and really pushed us on and again uh, you know a guy that played such a big part in, in, in forging I, I think uh, so, so many you know good careers for these guys particularly the ones I've mentioned there but uh, you know it, it had these moments Terry there's no doubt in terms of uh, your hair dryer, uh, proverbial <laughs> hair dryer uh, treatment, and um, you know certainly on the end of a of a few of them. But I think it's it's probably wrong to just label him as that. I think his knowledge and he's he used it at certain times, particularly certainly. Um, but um, you know, a, a guy that obviously knows football and somebody that. Um, I think I think he just wanted to please him. I think that was the thing about it, particularly as young guys. He obviously gave us a chance to get out and play, you know, professional football uh, uh, um, all together as boys that have come through, you know, come, come through the ranks together. And he was the one that, you know, w- w- uh, gave us that opportunity. And I think, as I said, as a group of young boys, I think all we wanted to do was repay that faith and, and uh, you know, try and do our, do our best for them. And I think you did. I mean, if you look at the 2003-2004 season, the, after you had administration, a really difficult time when you took over, but you got six in the league in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup. Um, but at the same time, although you've had such a long career at Motherwell, you left pretty early. Successful season, things had been turned around. What What was your decision or what was your thinking behind sort of moving to Plymouth? I thought about this a lot, you know. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to sit now. You know, the career I've had at Motherwell, you know, obviously the role I'm doing now and went on to be captain and playing Europe and things like that. All, all things that I never, ever imagined I would do. But to be honest, at that point, I never, ever felt, you know, I couldn't envisage of me sitting here just now doing that. You know, at that point, yeah. I, 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 I still felt um, you know, I'd, I had a, a good connection with Motherwell come through the club, but I'd, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I've been there for three or four years, and and uh, you know, the, the biggest thing about it was it was the chance to play. It was a newly formed championship. This that was the first year of the championship in England, and Plymouth had just been promoted into it, and it was a Scottish manager going down, Bobby Williamson, who knew me, I knew him. 
so it, it was really probably the league. If it wasn't, if it wasn't to the championship, I, I don't think I would have left. I think I would have stayed. But there was just something nagging at me. If we're both, uh, you know, my wife and I, my, well, I was my partner at the time, that we just wanted to try it. You know, we just wanted to try England. And uh, again, probably a little bit of self doubt in my own ability. I just didn't know if I'd, I'd ever get another chance to play at that level in, in England. You know, I, I felt as if this may be my only chance to play at that level and I think probably a combination of those things uh, it just tipped me into the, 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 the choice of taking that opportunity you know so um, which you know I've I done and I have no regrets you know I, I think Plymouth was certainly a mixed bag for me uh, you know that the English uh, experience was a mixed bag uh, but certainly for those first six months when I went down and I was playing every week in the you know in the championship it was a fantastic experience you know at that point I think you know there was some big I think Leeds were in it I think uh, West Ham were in it you know there was some you know big Sunderland were in it there was some big big clubs and you know some big away days to these big stadiums and it was just so different and uh, you know a really good experience for me and, and if anything I think it's probably the experience that then uh, you know improved me as a player improved me as a person to then come back and probably have what were my best years at Motherwell uh, you know when I come back up the road Looking at the move that you made at the time I mean it's a hell of a hell of a trick I wouldn't want to walk it Motherwell to Plymouth to be honest <laughs> Um but you moved with a lot of other SPL players at the time. I think it was Steve Mill, uh, yeah. uh, Matthias Doomba. How, how much does a massive, not a massive move in terms of SPL to the championship, I mean, the, the genuine distance between the places, how much does it help having people who are making the same sort of journey at the same time as you and, and so many of them at the same time? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it, it, it did help. You know, I think obviously, as you say, it's not uh, just round the corner. It's uh, no. <laughs> geographically again. It's 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 a little bit away. So no, listen, it does help to have other people there. In my honest opinion, I think maybe if you asked Bobby, did he maybe bring too many down at the one time? I, I you know I felt myself you know reflecting on it sitting now. Maybe not so much at the time, but I think you know he had a successful team there that got promoted, and then you know he's maybe he's, in terms of his recruitment. It's maybe because it's all he knew was the Scottish market, but I think maybe on reflection, uh, you know, there may have been maybe one or two too many that we took down. Because uh, certainly, I don't think, uh, I include myself in this as well. Actually, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of there being a success, if you like, you know, in terms of the Scottish guys, none of the Scottish guys really went down and and uh, lit it up, if you like, you know, and really pushed on. But um, but it did help, you know, it did help having other guys there off the pitch uh, that, you could, that you could speak to, you knew you'd played against and um, you already had some sort of connection with. But be honest, that, that you know, the best friends that I made down there were the ones that were already there, you know, it's the ones that I still keep in touch with, you know, where, where the guys down that were already down there. So it, 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 it was a great, as I said, it was a great experience it was a challenge in terms of the football to travelling you know luckily we did fly to the odd game to the, from the local um, Plymouth is a small airport down there and we did actually the Sunderland game we flew up to Sunderland and flew to a couple of games but you know it was a lot of bus journeys and then that was pre-Netflix and pre uh, you know <laughs> certainly pre-Twitter and uh, Instagram and all these things so it was um, it was your wee DVD, portable DVD players and, and things like that to pass <laughs> the time but uh, I think I, I, I remember one week there was an away to Ipswich on the Saturday and then I'll way to Preston on the Tuesday night. So that was uh 
that was a few hours on a bus, I can tell you. So it, it was it was a challenge in that sense. But as I said, the whole experience as a whole, even though I obviously ultimately fell out of the team and uh, you know it didn't quite work out football wise for me, the experience of English football for me, uh, as I said, I think it certainly made me a better a better player. There's absolutely no doubt. We're talking a little while ago now, but I suppose so the game has changed. It's moved a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of people that compare SPL to the championship and all that kind of stuff. At that time, what was the difference like in the leagues? Did you find the SPL quite similar to the championship and the or the SPL that you played in at that time? I think the biggest thing for me, I thought, was the physicality of it. I, you know, mm. and I'm not being disparaging English football in any sense, but I do think the championship does have a have a just that it does have a far or it did at the time I think I think the Scottish game has uh, has um, caught up a little bit I've got to say in terms of the sports science and the athletic side of the game I think our, our game but at that point I certainly felt when I went down uh, I think our first game was against Millwall at home uh, you know it was a great crowd there 18,000 but just the game itself even the physique of the Millwall players I thought on the whole I thought to myself, "Wow, right, this is a different, a different level of athleticism, if you like, you know." I mean, the skill level, yeah, it was obviously some fantastic players playing in the league as well. But I think that the biggest thing I noticed was that physicality, and um, you know, that that's probably pre. Uh, certainly in Scotland was I mean we never we hadn't heard of any you know like of sports scientists and uh, and guys that are looking after that side of the body a lot of it was kind of in Scotland was kind of left down to yourself you had a little bit of guidance from the, the physios at times um, but certainly when I went down there you look at your own kind of physique if you like and, and, and mark it up against these other guys you're playing against you knew you had a bit of work to do and, and for me um, you know that was the biggest difference uh, it was something that I certainly found a little bit tough to, to cope with you know certainly I mean obviously not the biggest of stature uh, 5 foot 9 or whatever and, and, and not the, the biggest of build so uh, you, of course you can you can affect the game in different ways but um, it was certainly something that opened my eyes and certainly something that you felt as if you had to work on straight away as soon as you went down So obviously you made your way back to, to Fair Park signing for, I think it was Morris Malpass, it would have been at the time, but looking at the the move when it happened, I think, and I've read that you were quite close to going to Kilmarnock, or there was a chance of doing that. And I think a lot of people say, you know, you don't go back. And a lot of the time, the second time around, it doesn't work. Um, obviously it was in, in your circumstance, but at that time, why did you feel moving to Motherwell was maybe the right decision at that point, rather than maybe going somewhere else? <laughs> Um, it was a difficult one really I mean I, I had a short loan period at, at Blackpool actually in between yeah. and I, I was actually ready for signing there to be honest and um, you know it would come as no surprise there was, there was a, a, a kind of problem with the ownership there at Blackpool which I think has been well documented <laughs> since but um, I, I was I was actually on my honeymoon and uh, I had agreed with my agent I had agreed verbally the contract and it was Simon Grayson was just had just taken over his first job, I think, management actually. And I'd agreed with Simon to sign the contract, blah, blah, blah. And then on my honeymoon, I got the phone call from the agent to say that um, there'd be new ownership. Uh, I think it was a foreign, the first of the foreign ownership at Blackpool. Anyway, all, all contracts were off the table. So I, I had I, I was left in a real limbo, to be honest, because by that, by that point, I think we were well into June and I'd put all my eggs in that basket thinking as soon as I come back, I'll sign that deal and I'm, you know, away I go uh, there. Um 
but you know, as I said, that was pulled, and then it was kind of right. What do I do now? Um, you know, I didn't, I hadn't had a lot of exposure in England, so I think my, you know, my chances of getting a different another club in England were going to be pretty slim. Um, and you know, then it was a case of right, I probably have to come back up the road, and at that point the first people to get in touch with Kilmarnock and it was Jim Jeffries who was the manager there and he said look come in and do a little bit of training um, and see how you go on so I did that and um, actually you know I was pretty much just about to sign there and actually on the day I was about to sign uh, I got a phone call from um, I think it was Stuart Robertson actually the the, the, the managing director at Motherwell who's, who's now at Rangers actually but he, he phoned me to say look is there any chance we can we can possibly do a deal so it was really it was really close a bit of a sliding doors moment really to be honest because I think it was the following day I think I was going to go into Kilmarnock and sign a, a contract and well not luckily for Motherwell but luckily for me I think they hadn't had a great start to the season and I think that had maybe uh, pressurised them into making a couple more signings and you know, luckily for me, um, you know, I was one of those. And you know, as soon as I got that phone call, it was just uh, it was for you know a little bit less money as well. But you know, it just didn't matter to me. It was I just uh, and as you say, the thing about not going back, it did you know it did cross my mind. But I, I just as soon as I got that phone call, it just felt right, and and you know, I decided to go back. You started the season in the team did really well, you're back, you're happy, you're playing football again. Then in the December, you do your cruciate ligament. Um, never an injury anyone wants, any football or any athlete, but how tough was that period of your career? Very tough. Uh, the first reason it was tough was that I'd done it in Inverness, so it was, it was a long way from home, a long way to sit in a bus with a, with a, a, a cruciate that's, that's uh, you know, torn. But um, And actually, that story, when I'd done it, um, a wee story attached to that is that it was actually the Inverness physio that looked after me when I came off the uh, the pitch because our physio had to go back out and... and um, you know the game was still going on, and he he was saying to me, "Oh, it's okay, you'll be fine. Couple of tablets, couple of paracetamol, you'll be fine." He didn't think I'd done my cruciate, <laughs> so I'm thinking, "Oh, brilliant, this is great." I mean, uh, so anyway, all the way down in the bus, and it wasn't it didn't feel great the whole way, to be honest. But uh, and then ultimately found out, uh, you know, the, the cruciate I had gone, which my gut feeling myself was that because certainly the injury at the time, uh, I think you just have a gut feeling, you know, you've done something different, you know. It, a different feeling to what you've you know an injury I had tweaked my ligaments before and things like that you know your medial and cartilage and things but you know this certainly felt different so yeah it was it was difficult and um, you know it's probably the one kind of long term injury I've had in my career and I think more than anything it's a mental um, battle as much as a a physical one Uh, you know coming back from a long term injury I think that was I was kind of five and a half months six months uh, till I was back kicking the ball again, and it's it's yeah, it's a lot of repetition, a lot of gym work, and uh, you know, luckily for me, uh, I had a physio there, John Portis at Motherwell, who'd who'd been through that injury uh, two or three times in terms of rehab, uh, pretty recently actually, and and uh, so it was great for me. He'd obviously researched the rehab a lot, and uh, you know, he'd done a fantastic job with me, and uh, I, you know, I never. I never ever had a problem after you know after I come back, which is so I'm, I'm certainly thankful to John for that because, as I said that you know to get through that and then probably go on to you know have uh, you know the latter years of my career, which were probably my best, was you know a big testament to him in terms of the way he got me back fit. 
And the season after you, you really did play obviously a huge part once you'd returned from injury. And it was a really successful season where you finished third. Looking back at the team at the time as well, there were some great players and players that ended up having great careers. Simon Lappin, Ross McCormack, um, Mark Reynolds. How good was that Motherwell team based on other Motherwell teams you played in? I think, uh, yeah, I see Mark McGee here, I think, isn't it? Mark McGee yeah. Mark came in and... Um, uh, listen, I think I've, I've said this before on a few different things and it's the best football I've been involved in. I think the first six months of that season was, I think Mark had a real impact for us in, in not not just in, on the pitch or, or physically, it was it was a mental thing with Mark. I think we, we, we'd, we'd narrowly avoided relegation the, se- the season before and I think you turn up for, for pre-season as a group of players and you think, right, Groundhog Day a bit, you know, or, well, if we avoid relegate, the back of your mind is, yeah, you might do okay, but yeah, let's just avoid relegation again. Whereas Mark came into the building and was like, no, I mean, we are going to, you know, we are going to finish third. That that was pretty much his his mindset. And actually, as players sitting listening to it, you're thinking, at first, your first reaction is, is he all right? Is he is he sure kind of thing? But actually, he he just felt as if he believed it. You know, he wasn't just it wasn't just a front to say, oh yeah, like, you know, boys, yeah, we can do it, and then get into the other room and thinking, oh, we've got no chance. It really was a genuine belief, and with Mark, it was, and you could sense that. And he was, you know, I can remember as vivid as as it was at the time. You know why can we not go to Hearts and win? Why can we not go to Aberdeen and win? And you know, and actually, the more he, he, he drilled it into us, we believed it. You know, and and along with you know some decent players and as you you know some of them you mentioned there, we just got on a roll. And I think I think the start of the season was key for us. I think we won. I think I may be wrong, but I think it was like six out of first seven games, for instance, something like that. And I think that along with the, you know the mantra, as I say, that Mark was given is. I think we just slowly started to believe and st- slowly started to snowball, if you like. Uh, and, you know, we just carried that through through the whole season. So, and in terms of the football itself, um, you know, uh, Mark could sometimes be a little bit unconventional on the training pitch, um, but you always felt as if there was a real genuine thought behind it. And uh, uh, as I said, it, something just clicked. Something just clicked with the players the connection between the players and the manager and it, it just as I said that season was some if not the best you know football I was involved in at Motherwell I was reading through a few sort of Motherwell forums and I was looking through a, sort of a few bits and bobs of, you know do your research do, do what you should be doing as an interviewer right and I came across something that was continuously popping up and I thought I'm going to have to ask people keep referring to you as the housewife's favourite <laughs> Explain that to me. <laughs> that is, again, I've been asked this a few times. I, do, do you know the honest answer is I, I can't actually remember the first person saying it. Now, this is a tag that I'll I'll take it, by the way. I'm happy to take it. I've been killed worse. Um, but listen, yeah, it's just something that seemed to... I don't know whether it was the uh, emergence of my, my grey uh, grey hair and um, greying beard, if you like, that uh, seemed to attract, distinguish, yeah, attract the, maybe the more mature um, Motherwell supporter. <laughs> but certainly that, that seemed to be the case, and it's certainly something I'm still... Uh, labelled with at the moment but uh, I, it's something that's been with me it's stuck, it's stuck with me and as I said I'm I'm, I'm not complaining too much I think there's, there's, there's worse things to be called I'm sure 
could be far worse. Could be far worse. Um, I was reading, like I say, back through a few different things, and I, I wanted to kind of have a look at how. Obviously, you're, you're very, very well liked at Motherwell um, as a player, and also as where you are at the moment. But what a lot of people pointed out. Um, I noticed that many fans pointed to the 2010-2011 season as sort of one of your best. And looking through how well it had done at that time, I think it was great as a whole. You had the UEFA Cup, you got the semi-final of the League Cup, and you got the final of the uh, the Scottish Cup. Unfortunately, got beat by by Celtic at Hamden. But how well do you remember that particular season individually and also as part of the club? Um, I think that was probably my best season I think that without doubt uh, you know for me personally I said the other season in terms of Mark's first season I think as a team that was probably um, the football was the best but in terms of for me personally I think I'd just taken over the captaincy from, from Stephen Cragen you know I, I think I, th- I think that was that the year that we played following year actually the Champions League I think mm-hmm. um, in fact sorry it wasn't it was the following year I took over the captaincy so yeah. this was the year before sorry um, but I think that yeah, I, I, I would probably say that year and the following year sorry were, were probably my two best seasons certainly I just think I don't know what it was that clicked I think it was maybe a combination of just my experiences as I've mentioned before uh, my times before uh, you know learning and you know, I was late to football so I think I pretty much learned on the job and I think I maybe just got to that point where I just you know things physically mentally my experience and it just maybe clicked for me in the sense that that was my peak if you like you know um, yeah. so I think it was probably around about 30 mark I think for my age wise and maybe a little bit later than, than most footballers but as I said for a number of reasons uh, for a number of factors I just think uh, you know that was the best period for me and I think also uh, in that period I think we had Craig Brown and Archie and Ox who, who were such a big uh, influence uh, as well they weren't at the club for long but I think um, after the previous manager Jim Gannon who throws a lot of our kind of older players out they were the one that brought brought me and, and a few other experienced ones back into the team and really again a, a bit another big turning point for my, for my career at Motherwell uh, in terms of you know it was pretty close to, to, to leaving really under Jim Gannon because it had got so bad and Craig and actually really rescued that situation and then I think Stuart, uh, Stuart then took over in the January Stuart McCall uh, and again, you know, someday I think probably my most enjoyable times at Motherwell, I would say, were under Stuart uh, and Kenny Black, who, you know, just were fantastic uh, for us and, and led again, uh, you know, us to some fantastic times, as you say, in the UEFA Cup and semi-final, final, unfortunately, against Celtic. But, you know, these are all dream things for me. You know, as I said, I get into football before late thought my chance had gone so to then look on it at that point and say I'm playing in a Scottish Cup final I'm playing in the UEFA Cup I'm going to go then go on to play in the Champions League qualifier just uh, you know beyond beyond your wildest dreams you know far beyond my wildest dreams and um, it was just fantastic for me and that that two year period as I say I think was probably my best personally Was it Stuart McCall that gave you the captaincy I believe? Yeah, it was Stuart. So it was that following year. It was Stephen Cragen um, who retired. He he retired uh, that summer. Um, uh, I think after the cup final, actually. And um, and Stuart, yeah, Stuart called me during the summer. Um, and yeah, I mean, offered me the captaincy, which is just you know, obviously, such an honour to a club that you had such an affinity with and been with for so long, and then to the chance to actually captain the club. Uh, you know, knowing some of the captains that had went before you, and uh, it was, you know, it was fantastic. As I said, you know, again, thankful to Stuart for 
for for uh, you know choosing me to or asking me to do that and you know it was absolute again no brainer uh, in terms of accepting that and uh, as I said before Stuart was 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 great to work under you know such a great man manager uh, I'm sure you know even guys like Simon Ramsey have told you that in the past um, yeah is is just just could get the best out of people knew how to do it uh, and uh, again him and along with Kenny Black his assistant I think. Um, really, along with you know a good core of players there, a good uh, core of players that been through the course with him, along with, again with some good young ones. I think again that connection was just right at that right time, and you know I think the results bear out. Uh, you know how right it was in terms of again a club of our size competing, you know, and finishing. I think going on to finish second, I think the following yeah. year, um, with, and and playing in European competition again. Uh, Again, was testament to, to Stuart and Kenny uh, and that group of players. Now, I did warn you about this off air beforehand, but obviously, I've been speaking to Simon, Simon Ramson, for those that are listening. <laughs> and he, he, did, Mad he did give me a oh, wonderful man, but he gave me some fantastic stories. And uh, I've got to be honest, he almost half did the interview for me, but there you go. Um, <laughs> Talking about Stuart McCall, and he's got a lot of time for Stuart McCall. He um, obviously he was a big, big fan of them, and, and you know you spoke very, very highly of him as well. And I think his reputation in the game, uh, not just in Scottish football, in the game is obviously huge. But I believe that he he once gave you a curfew when you were in Portugal. I think it was a curfew or half a week's wages, and you ended up having a specific night out in in Villa Mora. And Simon says, "What are your memories of that day?" <laughs> Well, I can remember up to about eleven o'clock, but I'm not sure after that. <laughs> Listen, we again, Stuart just knew how to manage the group, and you know that was a perfect example of that. That's for sure. I mean, we we had a great base out in in uh, in, in Portugal. Good training week. We actually went out there a couple of times. So yeah, we 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 get the night out, and, and but the only thing was Villa Moura was. It was about half an hour, 40 minutes in a taxi. So it wasn't great logistically in terms of it wasn't just a stroll down the street. You had to you had to plan it. So anyway, Stuart said, Yeah, great, you can have a night out. And uh, we were like, Oh great, this is this is amazing, brilliant, I'll have a night out. But you need you need to be back in by uh well, eleven o'clock, I think you say whatever it was, about eleven o'clock. But we didn't finish training until like five o'clock or something six o'clock so we're thinking we've got to get out have a night out and then get back for that time so anyway we managed it we we we, we, we got changed out in the taxis everybody out as always which again was another big thing for us we, we went out together and you know we done everything together with a really good group of boys so as you can imagine we're having a, a, such an early curfew we uh, decided to accelerate our, our night out, condense our night out into about three hours. So <laughs> that was uh, pretty dangerous, particularly when uh, Ramsden's on the on the on the tab, if you like, when he's ordering drinks. So yeah, we had we had a few drinks. We had a little karaoke, which I kicked off. Or certainly, uh, I seem to draw. It was, we drew we drew straws, but I'm still convinced to this day that I was uh, I was I was uh, done in that that because I seem to always pick the short straw. So anyway. I was up on the karaoke giving it uh, giving it giving it big licks on that and um, so of course we had to get back for our curfew so unbeknown to us the players come back for the curfew 
but in into our beds. The, 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 or I think most of us did anyway. Until we found out the following day, or I have subsequently found out that Stuart and Kenny, we thought they would be in checking us, making sure they came in and all oh, right, that's them in, that's them in. They were out to four o'clock in the morning, Stuart and <laughs> Kenny. So they hadn't gave themselves a curfew, but we were in our beds for whatever it was, 11, half 11. And it's only now that I came into this side of it in terms of management and assistant manager. You can see, I can imagine them sitting at lunchtime, whatever, devising their plan. I will let the players go out to 11 o'clock and then we'll we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get out to four o'clock in the morning and just get them on. So it was, but it was always just stuff like that. And, you know, I could, I could go on about a few things uh, in terms of when we were out in Portugal, but it, on the whole, it, it just showed you he had a sense of humour, Stuart. He, he knew when to let you can off the leash if you like, but he, uh, he, he you know, it, we knew when to be serious if you like, and I think he just had that mixed down to a T. And something I think is just one of his big, big strengths. Talking about them, um, obviously, the, I was speaking to Simon about the, the situation, and, and that one came up. But um, I think it's quite evident to see from what you've just said, and obviously what the stories Simon's have given me, that the team spirit is really, really good at that point. Um, everyone obviously got along really, really well. And a really weird situation for me, I'm obviously a Sunderland fan, as people know, and Sunderland Newcastle away. I went the, the entire six in a row when we beat them. And there was two particular games when I, I, I sort of, I was probably the only person at that point that recognised Darren Randolph at one season. Um, and then the season later, I believe that you went to the game as well, because I remember seeing you with Simon when we beat them 3-0 under Gus Poyet, I think. Um, so yep. going away from Motherwell slightly, obviously Simon Ramson, Sunderland through and through, for those who don't know him. I believe you took in the Sunderland Newcastle derby and got the Metro down and Simon's He's asked me, what are your memories of that day from what you can remember? <laughs> I think that last phrase you said there is the most pertinent than what I can remember. <laughs> um, listen, I loved the whole experience. I mean, listen, Simon, we always knew he was a big Sunderland fan. You know, you don't need to, You could see it in the shower every day with the tattoos and <laughs> on, his, uh, on his body, never mind anything else. But listen, we just knew he was, you know, he was a mad Sunderland fan and he was always on it, the boys, as you say. I went down Dan Randolph went down I think Tom Hately went down a few of the boys yeah. went down to the games and he was always on it as I'll come down to the games because we knew he 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 uh, you know he he just loved his football he loved the atmosphere you know I think he liked the old firm atmosphere as well we went to a few old firm games yeah. um, but he said look you need to come down you need to come down so like yeah okay 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 but it's just obviously just trying to get the chance to when it fits in with our games and when we can get to the game so it took a while to be honest to try and actually organise one so anyway we got we managed to get a chance to go down and it was just mad it was uh, I, I, I hadn't actually appreciated that you know I, I knew you know of the Old Firm Derby I knew even been to a few Everton Liverpool games but this one to me I think it's probably the closest thing to the Old Firm Derby in terms yeah. of that was my experience of it in terms of the I just I didn't fully appreciate the level of rivalry you know to put it that way you know that the, the level of just you know that kind of tinge of hatred really you know I just didn't I just I, I just didn't fully grasp it before I went so it was a real, real eye-opener for me to be honest with you and the other thing I remember for that game one of the main things is I think Brad Simon was on crutches I'm pretty sure he was on crutches so we get into the game We've had a few refreshments, you can say, um, from <laughs> from earlier. I remember, I remember 
chap in a pub door. I think it must have been about 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that. He had me up going to this. I'm, telling, I'm saying to him, where have you gone here? Had he had me walking down the street and he says, right, we're going in here. I'm saying, what at this time? And we chat in the door and we, we ended up in this pub. I'm not going to ask where it is, but we ended up in somewhere pretty early on anyway, put it that way. Um, but at the game, I remember getting to the game and you get marched through Newcastle and again, just like a surreal experience. Uh, it's, it was amazing. Um, just, you know, the, all the Newcastle fans are out at the windows shouting and you know, you're getting corralled up to the stadium kind of thing. Just an unbelievable experience. And again, something I just didn't realise how, how fierce it was. But anyway, we get into the stadium, you know the Sunderland fans are up that back. You know, the stand oh, yeah. up the top, stand, aren't they, up there? So anyway, we're up there. And of course, Sunderland watching the game, brilliant, great atmosphere. And Sunderland score. And he's, I think he was in one of the big protective boots, actually, Simon, at the time. And he had his crutches. So he's got his crutches up all of these doors, uh, up the, all the stairs, sorry, all the way up to the back. So anyway, Sunderland score and the whole place goes mental, as you can, as you can imagine. So I'm jumping up. Obviously, I'm no affiliation with Sunderland, but I, I did for that day. So I'm jumping about like a madman <laughs> as well. Me and him jumping about like a madman. And then my bite memory is just like, after everything had calmed down, it just clicked on me that he was injured. I'm thinking, I'm trying to hold him. and like, are you all right? Are you okay? And the next thing I just turned around and I just seen these two crutches getting passed back up the crowd. His crutches, he'd obviously launched his crutches <laughs> down, the, down the crowd and he'd lost his crutches. So the next thing, this crutch is getting passed back up the crowd, back up to him. And I thought, God, that just sums him up. But just for that split seat moment when Sunderland scored, he obviously just thought, like, everything just gets, gets, gets thrown at the window. Well, for that moment he's just going to cel- celebrate no matter what and I think seeing his crutch getting handed back up the, the crowd was a you know a perfect picture of that kind of thing you know so it was it was brilliant and then we went out uh, you know after and it was I I mean vague memories after that certainly because uh, <laughs> we had a we, we'd had a few but it was just from the whole thing from getting the train down we get the train down and uh, from the minute we got there to the minute we come back just a brilliant experience and as I said it really Really opened my eyes to that derby, to be honest with you, because it was, it was uh, just the the whole atmosphere and the feeling around the stadium and the game was just it was it was out of this world. Actually, it was it was great. You also went to see a I think a Sun and Everton game, and we were touching Everton prior. I think it was under Paolo Di Canio, maybe the year beforehand for, for Sunderland. We won 1 0. But I, I believe you almost didn't get in. Is that right? <laughs> I, I, again, I told you, they, don't you? They, <laughs> I well, obviously, on that occasion, I was even more excited because of the, the opposition, you know. So, but aye, let's just say we enjoyed ourselves. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, aye, I never, I, I nearly never get past security, but I think we got there in the end from memory, from vague memory. <laughs> um, I suppose we, you know, we're talking about stuff like that, and we're having a good laugh about it. But I think that kind of shows why Motherwell had done so well in that period. I mean, how how good, how often was that? sort of team spirit with, you know, days out, nights out, not so much necessarily going to having a drink, but just for each other. How, how important do you think that is to a, to a team being successful on the pitch? I think it's really important. You know, I think it's, it's, it's probably in terms of get, you know, you work hard, play hard sort of idea, but yeah. it, it really does. If you don't have a, a connection off the pitch, it's, it's you know in those tough times on the pitch, it, yeah, it can manifest itself in a different way. It might be somebody 
covering you on the pitch or just that real feeling you've got a tough five minutes or a ten minutes to hang on to a lead or and just somebody a look from a, one player to the other or a shout from one player to the other that just really maybe galvanises the group and you know I think spending time with together off the pitch just it, it just can't fail to help that you know it just we, we did build up a really good bond um, within that team you know that kind of 2010, 2011, 2012 around about that period um, you know we did socialise a lot we did uh, you know, what as you say, it wasn't always, um, you know, out drinking, you know, to all of us kind of thing. Yet, you know, we'd go to each other's houses, and you know, I always made a point of having a barbecue every summer, where all the all the guys and all their, their wives and girlfriends were invited as well. And and just try to come up with a little. Thing. I mean, Simon had, had uh, parties at his house as well, uh, things like that. So it was just it was just everybody kind of taking a turn of of getting everybody together. And uh, it's no you know coincidence that I don't think that it's probably uh, I look back in the teams that I played in, and it's probably my fondest memories, uh, uh, even on the pitch and off the pitch. I think combined, I think that was the best group of boys that we had to be honest with you. And, the best bond I think any team's had within that time, um, even more so than probably, as I said, you know, the, the time we played some good football under Mark McGee, uh, that team, if you like. But I think the Stewart's period was the best team spirit we had uh, at, at a club at any one time. And, you know, and, and I think the socialising is a big part of that. And it's something I think for me now, my role in, in football uh, as a coach and assistant manager, I think it's changed a little bit. You know, I think the boys nowadays, um, it's you know very Instagram and individual and yeah they're maybe speaking online and things like that a lot of the time now but the, you know I think that dynamic of going out together as a full team or as a you know at least the majority of the team I think it's not quite as strong as it was or it used to be but I think that's maybe just a sign of the times rather than um, you know consciously not wanting to do it I think it's just the way the way it is now and uh, and I'm not sure for the better to be honest with you I think I think there is still something to be said for for people being together away for the game at times and uh, even if that mean does mean having a having a drink now and again or a meal or whatever it is it may be I still think there's a big place for that to be honest and and hopefully uh, you know it doesn't die out totally and, and something that we can still keep part of the game because it, it definitely helps in my, uh, uh, you know in terms of the team spirit and things like that so your final season or you decided to hang your boots up in sort of 2017 but there's been a lot of chat across a lot of different levels of football about what it's like when you leave football but when do you know as a professional footballer that it's the right time to hang your boots up um, it's a difficult one Really, I found it really difficult actually I mean I still had a year's playing contract left I mm-hmm. um, my last contract I had a you know if I played so many appearances I triggered another year and I managed to do that towards the end of the previous year so I had another play, year to play if I wanted it and I actually felt, felt physically as if I could uh, you know I could I played another year I was 37 I think at that point um, but I'd always kept fit I was always you know in, in terms of running and things like that I was always uh, one of the ones you know up near the front and physically looked after myself my diet was probably as good as it had ever been um, you know the latter end of my career um, so uh, you know it was always I always felt physically capable that really changed was the opportunity to do the job that I'm doing at the moment you know Stephen Robinson took over um, when Mark left towards the end of that season 
and and really uh, started to involve me a little bit in the coaching side of things. Brought me into some meetings and and, and think pre-training meetings and things like that to ask my opinion, and it really started to grow. Uh, 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 until you know, ultimately the point came in the summer where you know he, he asked me to, to to take over the role once James McFadden left to take over the role as assistant manager, and, and it was really at that point I had a big decision to make. And you know, after speaking it through with my my family and and have they connected and and coaching and management is always something that I've been interested in. You know, I started my, my coaching badges when I was twenty six, and something that's always been in there that I felt as if. I wanted to get, uh, you know, to, 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 to move into if, 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 if I could. And, and the opportunity to do it at a club that I loved, a club that I had such an infinity with, it just ultimately was, was too big an opportunity to turn down. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately why I ended up making my decision to, to, to hang the boots up and, and move into this side of it. And to be honest, it's, it's I think, in hindsight, you're never too sure. You're never too sure at the time how it's going to work out because football is such a volatile business um, but you know I think it, it was the right decision and, and and something you know the decision I'm glad I made because it's it's, you know, it's it's been you know these last two and a half years have been fantastic yeah challenging at times uh, as any coaching or management job is uh, you know I think it was the right time and you know just thankful for the career I had really rather than uh, you know trying to prolong it and, and maybe then becoming a bit part player and maybe not ending whereas I felt as if I ended you know, at a decent point and, and, you know, as I said, just thankful that I could carry on my work, you know, stay with the club in, in some capacity and, uh, you know, delighted to do so. So final question then, if you could pick a five-a-side team from players you either played with or played against, what would be your five-a-side team? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so I'll go through this. So I need a goalie. You always need a goalie. Again, lucky to play with so many good goals. Go right back to Andy Gorham, who I think is even at that point, he was a very latter part of his career, but he was just in training, just awesome. Couldn't get by him, and and a brilliant character in about the dressing room as well. But I didn't really play with Andy a lot. You know, I was only a young boy, so out with that adult, I'd have to go for uh, Darren Randolph. You know, a yeah. fantastic goalkeeper. Uh, you know, I think I only have to look at the, the the career he's been on to have. You know, playing the Premiership. I don't know how many caps he's got now for Ireland. Just a fantastic goalkeeper and and somebody. You know, I think we were lucky to get. You know, um, but you know, great guy, great goalkeeper. Definitely big guys and nets. Um, at the back, it's going to have to be Ramas. He's got to get in there, or else he'll pass <laughs> the life at me and tell me. And uh, maybe shed some light, more light on the stories that I never quite gave you all the detail. I'm sure he'll give you more detail if I don't have him in there. But no, I'll put Simon in there again. Formed a great friendship with him, really relationship. Brilliant teammate. Would run through a brick wall for you. Uh, probably epitomised that team. I would say in terms of spirit. Um, fantastic and would be good at organising social events as well for the five-a-sides team <laughs> that would be so he's he's definitely in alongside that I think probably the best player I played with on a consistent basis was Stevie Hamill left back at Motherwell uh, I'd need to have him in there uh, I mean I think he's the all-time record appearance holder at Motherwell uh, certainly I think he's well too but um, so consistent left back 
got a Scotland cap I think he should have got more I think he just got the one you know had the chance I think of a couple of big moves along the way yeah, but not quite worked out but certainly somebody I think thought was capable of playing at a really high level as I said should have had more caps so Stevie Hamill's in there so I've got uh, Daz Ramas Stevie Hamill James McFadden I think has got to be in there again yeah. uh, kind of came through young lad coming through a bit younger than me James but Again, somebody you just knew right for the first few training sessions, you thought, right, this, this, this boy's got something a bit different to the rest of us. And again, obviously, you see the, the caps and the career he's been on to have. I think Faddy's got to be in there. I think maybe myself. Can I put myself in? I don't know. If I'm allowed to put yeah, myself in. Yeah, of course in. you if, can. If, if, if Rams is going to organise a night's out, then I've got to be his second in charge. I've got, to, <laughs> I've got to be involved. So I'll stick myself in there as well. So big dads, Rams. Stevie Hamill, myself and James McFadden. I think that'll be the five. Keith, thank you very much, mate. Appreciated. Not a problem. Listen, enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll get down to another Sunderland game soon with Ramas and he can, he can uh, show me the ropes once again. But no, a pleasure. <laughs> I really enjoyed that.